Um, We wanted to show you that video this morning as we begin our series called Living Word. Um, A couple months ago, we had um, postcards in the bulletin and invited you to respond through an email address to share with us different verses and characters from God's Word that have been meaningful to you. Um, Because we're just confident that God's word is living and active, that um, it's fuel for the journey. And we know that that hits us at different points in our lives in different ways. And we wanted to hear what has been meaningful to you. So we got all sorts of verses as a response. And we kind of took several of those. And that's what we're preaching through um, in this series. So the first one that um, I'm preaching is um, December. I almost said December. Words are hard. I know. It's no. Um, Deuteronomy um, 31, which Mark just read. Um, And you'll hear the rest of those verses throughout the series. There's also a couple more verses written up on these two banners on the side. And throughout this series, we're going to leave those up. And what we want um, from you is just for you to add to them. So as you think about characters from the Bible or words from Scripture that have just been meaningful to you, we want you to add those to the banners, and our hope is that those will be just overflowing with God's Word um, as we go through this series. So Deuteronomy 31, feel free to um, open up your Word, and we're going to dig in this morning. And um, as we do, I just wanted us to also reflect on who Moses is. And I want to give you kind of a blast through some of the context that's happening here because there's a lot going on. So I want to lay some of the groundwork so that you can really understand as we get to the end of this chapter what God is really doing and what's happening in the storyline. So um, the life of Moses is a really interesting one, and I'd invite you to read through the first couple books of the Bible, and you can really dig into that further. But I just want to highlight some things from his life. Um, Moses is an interesting character, and he's portrayed in a variety of ways, both historically but also in our culture. So as I say the name Moses, what might come to mind is this picture— um, this is kind of Moses, the baby in the basket, also the Veggie Tales Moses, right? I forget the name of that movie. Any parents remember the one on Moses? We're going to find it out. There's going to be a song, right? <laughs> so this is baby Moses, or maybe you saw the animated movie Prince of Egypt, And so um, this is the picture that comes to mind for you. As Mark read those verses, maybe you would hear that in the voice of Val Kilmer, right, who did the voice work for Moses in the movie. As a side note, he also did the voice for God in that movie. Um, So that's Prince of Egypt. Um, Or maybe if you're old enough, you remember Charlton Heston, right? Like he's the famous Moses. Here's the picture of Charlton Heston parting the Red Sea, I mean, this is very official, right? He just, I mean, if you were to think of an Old Testament character, this is the guy that would come to mind. Um, the full beard looks very authoritative, like just the whole the staff. Um, that's Charlton Heston. Tim, what's the next picture? Anyone know what this sculpture is? They got it in the first service, and I'm wondering, do you know who did this sculpture? Yes. Merle, way to go. Michelangelo. This is the Moses of Michelangelo. Um, Pope Julius II had this commissioned, and it is on his tomb. 
Um, it was finished in 1545, which means it took Michelangelo about 40 years to create this sculpture. Moses looks very, like, heavily bearded, right? Heavily bearded. Beard oil wasn't a thing, probably. Like, he just had this, has that going on. Um, he's holding the law with his um, right arm and with his left arm. It's kind of all muscly, ready for battle, um, ready to go. So that's Moses of Michelangelo. And then finally, we have um, an older Moses, also from our VeggieTales movie, with his staff. What was that? Mo and the Big Exit. Did it just take you a little time to think of the movie? Yeah, Google. Okay, you got it, Google. <laughs> You're like, no, I didn't come up with that. So just a side-by-side -side picture for just a moment. Let's just notice baby Moses is yellow, adult Moses is green. Just, I'm just saying, something's going on there. Eric up in the sound booth said this morning, maybe like baby Moses, when he went out to the desert, got sunburnt, and like that turned him... I'm just going to leave like that to you to wonder about for a little while, but that's our only explanation for that one. Um, Moses is certainly an interesting guy. The storyline takes up a lot of the Old Testament. Um, but the book before this, the book of Exodus, chronicles Moses leading the Israelites out of bondage of Egypt and towards this land that God had promised to them. As many of you know, this escape was not without drama. Remember Charlton Heston parting the Red Sea as the people walked through dry land, escaping their enemies, escaping certain death. That was just the beginning of their journey. It led them into the wilderness where their journey was not a straight line, but it was a curvy and dangerous journey through the wilderness as time and time again they Fall, fell into this pattern of disobeying and whining and trouble, and then this new resolve to follow God, and then they'd fall into disobeying and whining and trouble. Sound familiar? This was their pattern. 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, imagine that for just a moment. Uh, maybe this summer, like me, you've done some camping, right? or a youth headed to the Boundary Waters this week, 40 years. There's no s'mores. <laughs> Food's not that great. You're with a group of people complaining, wondering when your struggle would be over. And so now at the start of Deuteronomy, as we begin this book, there is a whole new generation of Israelites. They had been wandering through the, de the wilderness for so long that the previous generation has now passed away. And Moses, at the start of Deuteronomy, thinks, I need to get this new generation on board with this covenant, the plan that God has for us, and I want them in this new land to follow God better than their parents did, right? And so he begins by teaching them their story. He reminds them of where they've come from. He reminds them of the journey. And then he reminds them of the Ten Commandments. Here's kind of... Here's the law. Here's the Ten Commandments. And then he, he um, tells them this famous passage called the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. This is just kind of this famous prayer that Jewish people would say daily, right? Core to the, um, the book of Deuteronomy is this passage. After this, Moses, he moves into a retelling of the law. Now, some of the laws the people already knew because they had grown up with them, they knew the law well. But some of the laws were new, 
And this is where Deuteronomy gets its name, because Deuteronomy in Hebrew actually means the second law. And so Moses is retelling the law at this point. And what this whole journey through Deuteronomy is leading them up to is this renewal of the covenant, renewing this covenant promise that God has made with his people, this new generation of people, because a plot twist is coming because the people don't know that Moses is not going to enter the promised land with them. And he's preparing them by saying, here are the rules. Are you in or are you out? And in chapter 30, we see Moses kind of lay this out by telling the people the blessings and the curses. This is the whole chapter, blessings and curses. Go through and read it sometime, Deuteronomy 30, and I'm going to give you just the short version. The blessings were really, really good, and the curses were really, really bad, okay? And even just looking at the good and the bad of both of these things have led some commentators to say that Deuteronomy must have been written by two different people. Because one person could not hold within them an understanding of God who could pour out such incredible blessing and an understanding of a God that could curse in a way that was so destructive for a people. Right? So after hearing all these things, the people say, we're in, okay? We don't want that to happen. We're in. We're going to enter the promised land. Yes, we're going to do this. And so they go about their covenant-making ceremony. They're renewing the covenant. And Moses is such a great leader. He reminds them, hey, guys, you can do it. The following the law is not that hard, and he says to them, you know, you don't even need to look to heaven to know how to follow the laws. You don't need to go across the sea to follow the law. But in Deuteronomy 30, 14, it says, the message is very near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can follow it. You don't need to look outside of yourselves, right? This is a message our generation can get around, right? The truth is not outside of you. It's in you. <laughs> you just got to follow it. You have what it takes. And so the impassioned Moses finalizes this great speech he's giving them by saying this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today. That's how he starts. And I just want to kind of give you a glimpse into what's going on here for just a minute. This is so interesting. Because in the Old Testament, when you made a covenant with someone, there would need to be witnesses. There would need to be witnesses that would be watching and saying, yes, this covenant is true and it's valid. And you would need to have a certain level of authority in your community to be able to do this, to bear witness to this covenant-making ceremony. But what happens when the covenant is between God and his people? Who has enough authority to bear witness to that kind of an occasion? So what does Moses do? He says, heaven and earth, you're it. All of creation is bearing witness to what God is doing in this moment. God is saying, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. And then he says this, choose life. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God. Obey him. Remain faithful to him. 
And so he closes that chapter and we turn to chapter 31, which holds the verses that Mark read for us today. And what I want you to hear from these verses are three things that Moses does in this moment that is so critical for his people. And they're going to pop up on the screen and we're going to read them together. And so the first one is this. Read with me. Moses will not lead them into the promised land. What? Okay, now when something surprises you, or maybe those of you who have kids in your life, when they're like, you're crazy. Like they have a certain way of saying, what? That is individual for all kids. Thank you, Nikki. So we're going to read that again, and I want you to give me your best like, what? That's crazy. This is shocking to the people, okay? So let's read that again. Moses will not lead them into the promised land. What? Thank you. Awesome. Number two, Moses reminds them that God goes before them. Read that with me again. Moses reminds them that God goes before them. And the third one, Moses hands leadership to Joshua. So for just a minute, I want to just blast through these three things. Moses will not lead them into the promised land. And this astonishes the people. They have been wandering for 40 years to get to this point. They are finally there. They can see it. And Moses won't be able to go there. And he states the facts that seem to explain why. He says to the people, I'm old. 120 years I have under my belt. And he knows this promised land, this is not for me. This is for a new generation. Verse 2 makes it clear. Moses says, I can no longer act as your leader. In some translations, it says, I can't go in and out anymore, which really means I can't go out to battle and come in as your general. It was an idiom. I can't act that way anymore, so I need to be done. But we also know from reading through the Old Testament that Moses and God have had this conversation because in Numbers 20, and you might want to go back and read that, in Numbers 20, um, God has given Moses something to do for his people that involves water and a rock. And Moses, in this moment, did not listen to God. He disobeyed what God said. And so God said to him, because you did not act in accordance with what I asked you to do, you will not go into the promised land. So Moses knew there was something else going on here. And so he says, I'm old. This is for a new generation. Um, he explains it. He explains it to the people by using the facts. But understandably, there's probably for Moses a lot going on here. There's a lot of emotion, a mixed emotion, right? I don't know if anyone in this room um, knows what it's like to be 120. Probably not. But we know what it's like to end things. We know what it's like to end a relationship, what it's like to end a school year, what it's like to end a career. Sometimes we choose an ending and sometimes we don't get to, but endings are hard and they're complex for our heart to navigate. And as Moses spoke to the people and he looked out at this crowd of people and faces that he did not know, they were not the people that he started the journey with. There was a mixture of joy at this difficult journey ending and sadness that these would no longer be his people. And he's so intentional in this moment with how he handles this situation. And it shows to us his maturity as a leader because he reminds them that it is God that goes before them. 
And friends, even as I say this, I recognize that it's just easy to assume that this would come naturally for Moses. Like, we're reading the Bible, so of course he's going to point him to God, right? It's only natural. That's what we hear when we're in church. At the same time, Moses was a human with complex emotions, and he was holding a lot of this storyline, and certainly this was a difficult moment for him as well, because in the intensity of an ending, it's not always easy to be the leader that people need. So don't miss what he does in this moment, because Moses shifts their eyes from a human leader to God. He shifts their gaze off a human leader and reminds them of what has been true all along, that it is God who we follow. In the face of people's anxieties about what they will do, he doesn't immediately appoint a new leader, but he first calls them to trust God. And it brings to mind this verse from Psalm 127 that says, unless the Lord builds the house, Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the century stays awake in vain. In other words, the people's insecure, the security, the people's security and their ability to remain God's people, their ability to continue as a light to the nations does not rest in the hands of a human leader, but it rests in God. Moses reminds them that the work they face is not their own work, but God goes before them. Verse 3 says, the Lord will cross over before them. What I want you to hear this morning is God is not inviting them where he is unwilling to go. God is not inviting them into places that he isn't willing to go. And friends, this is as true in my life as it's true in your life. God is not only with you in this moment, but he goes before you. So fix your gaze on Jesus, church. Take your eyes off your trouble and your insecurity and your anxieties, as real as they are, and shift your gaze to the one whom your security can be real. Your identity is secure. Your hopes can be realized. And then in this moment, Moses hands off leadership to Joshua. He hands off leadership to Joshua. The people would not move forward without a leader. Joshua would be commissioned not just to a position, but to be a person who would be responsive to God on behalf of the people. And now when new leaders were commissioned in the Old Testament, three things were always happening. The first is that they were given encouragement, which is why Moses says, be strong and courageous. The second thing is that they were always given their task. And for Joshua, this task was to lead the people into the promised land, but also to take that land and divide it up amongst the territories. That was no small task. That was a huge job. And the third is the people were given, the leader was given divine reassurance. They were reminded that God is with them, which is why Moses says, God is going to cross before you. He's going to do the work. And as I read through the scripture again this past week, I was reminded that there are no special kind of words for Christian leaders, right? 
These words were given to the people as well. This was the second time Moses says this statement. So it's not like Moses is like, hey, Joshua, do all these things. But really, this is how it's going to go down. Or but I'm gonna, it sounds hard. I'm going to give you something special and it'll be just fine. Right? The charge to the people is the same. So Moses encourages him. He charges him with a task and reminds him of divine reassurance. You know where else that formula plays out in Scripture? It's when Jesus commissions the disciples and by extension us in Matthew 28. The same formula. When Jesus says to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, this is our commissioning charge, to be encouraged because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us. Our task, to go and make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them what God commands And then to remember that we have divine assurance that God says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. As Moses looked out over all of the gathering of the Israelites, and his task was now to raise up a new generation in the ways of the Lord. Our charge, our work of multiplying, of passing on the message to new generations is exactly the same. One of the things we talk a lot about at Roseville Covenant is being an intergenerational community. It doesn't roll off the tongue. (laughs) It's important work to us, and we work hard to create spaces where people can build relationships and connect across differences because we believe that that's who we should be as a spiritual family. But friends, now more than ever, the challenge to this identity is real and it is pressing. Because it is so easy to pull generations apart and make understanding and serving one another difficult and frustrating. And we need to continue to nurture this identity in our church. Not just because it's a good idea, but it's something that we're willing to work towards. And sometimes that can just be really practical. And I want to close with this story. Um, Sarah Bilsma um, is a student at Bethel who just graduated, and she used to attend our church. Um, She just finished at Bethel University and went off um, to serve as a special assistant to um, Dan Sullivan, who is the U.S. Senator from Alaska. So she moved to Washington, D.C. Her family is originally from Alaska, so this is a, a great connecting point for her. And as she finished up this school year, she won an award at Bethel um, in the area of reconciliation studies. And Sarah came up to me after um, one of the services and said that each of the students were given tickets to have their family attend chapel and then go to a lunch banquet afterwards where they would each be recognized. And she said, would you come as kind of like a pseudo-mom? All my family's in Alaska, right? And I said, no. I said, I'm not old enough to have a student in college. I said, I will go as like a cool aunt. Like that's like as far as I go. Um, And so we made that agreement and it was such a fun morning. And here's the thing. Each of these students were brought up and recognized for their accomplishments in front of the student body. 
But then afterwards, I went to this lunch as groups of these students were sitting around with their family, and this one professor, who's the professor in charge of reconciliation studies, took the time in front of the family to say, this is what I saw in these students, and here's what I think is going to move them forward. And she named things like their leadership gifts and their administrative gifts, their ability to listen well and ask questions and pull in people from outside of the community. And friends, I felt like I was participating in this holy moment because she was saying these things that God had uniquely wired these students with, but she was doing it in front of their family. And this is exactly what Moses is doing in this passage. And I have to wonder... What did this do for Joshua's leadership? To have Moses in front of this whole group of Israelites say, Moses, be strong and courageous. You're going to lead the people into the land, so listen to the Lord who goes before you. What does that do for Joshua's leadership to hear these words in front of his entire community? I wonder how this shapes people's ability to follow Joshua as their new leader. Moses' continued ability to lead well shaped this new generation of Israelites. The implications are astounding. And it prompted me to think about my own words. Our words as, that we speak as a community. Friends, are they prompting life and hope towards younger generations? Or are we discouraging and burdening those that God is trying to raise up? Do we see our young adults, our students, and our kids as just the church of the future, or do we see them as a part of the church now, co-laborers in the work that we do together? Are we freeing them up to try new things with fresh passion and energy, but with the same faith in God to reach their community and their friends and their schools with the message of hope, or are we telling them, hey, you need to put in your time? You need to pay your dues before you're freed up to lead. Friends, do we like the idea of kids in our church building more than the reality of putting in the work to raise them to love Jesus? I don't say these things in judgment, but only to provide clarity of the task ahead and with a measure of caution because, friends, it is so easy to get comfortable. It's easy to start putting the car on cruise control to lower our guards, but friends, look around you. Comfort is not the life of God's people. Look around you, and you see people who are not just sharing space with you, but are co-laborers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be strong, friends. Take the land that God has promised you, and he goes before you. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have given us this charge to be strong and courageous, to recognize that you go before us, to open up our eyes to new frontiers and things that we get to move into, and we recognize that you are with us. God, thank you for the invitation to open up our eyes to the new generations that are coming um, behind us. God, we thank you that we serve a big God with room for all of us to lead and to teach and to understand and to use our gifts in this body of Christ. Thank you for your good word to us and the gospel that is true 
in our lives. In your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen.